Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hi, folks. Uh, Welcome again to Pro Football in the 1970s. This is your host, Joe Zagorski, and today I'll be talking about adjusting to the rules in 1978. Now, in 1978, a bunch of new rules geared to improve the passing game showed up along the landscape of the NFL. Uh, The public, for the most part, clamored for the new rules because they wanted to see more scoring in the game. Former Hall of Famer uh, Miami head coach Don Shula differed from their opinions, however. Shula was a longtime member of the league's competition committee, and as the decade of the 1970s wore on, he eventually became one of the just token few standouts who preferred to keep the rules the same as they always were. But Shula faced plenty of pressure from the game's owners and from the majority of his fellow competition committee members. He eventually relented, hence the advent of the rules changes of 1978. He was quoted as saying, I'm a defensive coach with a defensive background. At that time he said this, but I was willing to compromise as long as the integrity of the game was not compromised. Well, the 1970 rules changes included two very big ones, and the effects of them have been a major part of the sport ever since. If you watch a pro football game in 2023, you will see how these two new rules are still having their say in the way the game is being played on offense. The first of these major rule changes occurred along the offensive line. Now, offensive linemen were, at the beginning of 1978, allowed to extend their arms and lock their elbows while blocking. They were also permitted to grasp the jerseys of their opponents whom they were in the process of blocking, as long as their hands did not extend any wider than the shoulders of those defensive players. The defensive players, as a response, described those new rules as nothing more than legalized holding. It gave quarterbacks more time to drop back and set up in the pocket and more time to read the opposing defensive coverages downfield. It was a watershed as far as rule changes were concerned. Now, as previously mentioned, this new blocking technique is visible even today. Even back in 1978, defensive linemen claimed that there was holding occurring on every play And that was hard to dispute. From the very first game, NFL offenses were taking advantage of the new rules, and who could blame them? Passing statistics increased by leaps and bounds in both yardage and touchdowns. Those passing statistics were further aided by the second big rule change of 1978, that of permitting the wide receivers to have freedom from being hit downfield. Defensive backs were allowed to hit pass catchers up to five yards past the line of scrimmage. 
After that, the new rule forbade them from hitting those wide receivers at all. It was almost like giving them a free pass into the defensive backfield. Almost immediately, practically every pro team tried to load up on quality wide receivers in the draft. The pro game had thus changed overnight. It was a game where defense still won championships, but now it was becoming tougher to play defense, and everybody knew it. The offenses exploded. That was the big result of all this. Philadelphia wide receiver Harold Carmichael went uh, from 665 yards receiving yardage in 1977 to 1,072 yards receiving yardage in 1978. Seattle wide receiver Steve Largent led the AFC with 71 receptions in 1978, which was 38 more than he caught in 1977. Largent's yardage totals likewise soared from 643 yards in 1977 to 1,168 yards in 1978. These numbers were just too impressive to be ignored. Now, not being allowed to hit opposing wide receivers became known as the Mel Blunt rule. Blunt was a future Hall of Fame cornerback with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he became famous for his ability to mug opposing wide receivers at the line of scrimmage just at the snap of the ball, which forbade them from getting downfield in their pass patterns. Going up against Blunt in a man-on-man situation was one of the toughest assignments for any NFL wide receiver during the 1970s. The league felt obliged to do something about helping the receivers get downfield when going up against cornerbacks the likes of Blunt. Hence the new rule of 1978 of forbidding defenders from hitting wide receivers anywhere past five yards off of the line of scrimmage. Team-wise, the Pittsburgh Steelers were the team that who adapted the quickest to the new rules in 1978. Pittsburgh quarterback Terry Bradshaw had a rocket for a right arm, and he also possessed two future Hall of Famers as his starting wide receivers, Lynn Swan and John Stallworth. The Steelers went from a run-first philosophy that they owned from 1972 to 1977 to a pass-first offensive philosophy in 1978. Pittsburgh only lost twice all that year, and they finished the 78 season as the league's first three-time Super Bowl champions. Indeed, it was the ability to adjust to the new rules the quickest which enabled different NFL offenses to achieve the largest amount of success in the season of 1978. Now for the trivia question for this episode, what two teams managed to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1978? Give you time to think of that answer like to thank you for all taking a, a listen to our podcast today. Take care of yourself, and I look forward to talking with you next episode when we talk more about pro football in the 1970s. This is your host, Joe Zagorski. Talk to you soon. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, 
We have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.